Thank you, Leslie and Paul, and good afternoon to all of you. Good to see you all here on another beautiful day. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel. So, how have you guys enjoyed our study? We've just through two chapters. It makes, it's made a real impression, I can tell. <laughs> At any rate, let's keep trying. Daniel chapter 3. Let's read that chapter together. Daniel chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth down, not down, and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree in every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews, whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was to be heated. 
And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every nation, I'm sorry, that every people, nation and language, which speak anything amiss, against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. May God add a special blessing to reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we thank you for your word, an event that took place probably 25, 2600 years ago. For us to have the opportunity to see truth in action, to see these men of faith literally live and trust completely in you in a time of crisis, in a time that many would compromise, Father, it's encouraging for us today to see our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as these three men in their faith and their trust is able to be duplicated today as well because you are the author and finisher of our, of our faith. Father, it's with a great deal of pleasure that we're gathered here today to hear more about you. We're anxious to have the Holy Spirit and he alone exclusively be our teacher. We would ask the words from the scriptures, would nourish us, would encourage us, would instill confidence and wisdom as we go about serving you and as you conform us each and every moment more like your son. Father, we'll ask that those that are not able to be here today, that you would put your arms around them, that you would encourage them, hold them close, may they feel the love of yourself. And those that are here today, Father, that you would give them exactly what they need so relationally they've never will have never been closer to you than in these moments we trust you with these 
these moments we have now with you, looking with anticipation for what you will do in our lives, because you are God. And these things we ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, here we are, Daniel chapter 3. And as we read that passage of scripture, it almost seems like Nebuchadnezzar has a really bad memory. Because I want to go back chapter 2, and let's just read the last couple of verses there. This was when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream that he couldn't remember, and Daniel gave not only the dream, but the interpretation. And let's just look at these last four verses. These just before we read in chapter 3, let's finish chapter 2 now again, watching what King Nebuchadnezzar had been revealed to him through Daniel, and especially, I should say, from God through Daniel. Verse 46, chapter 2. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man, gave him many gifts, made him ruler of the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested the king that he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king, which probably means he was the prime minister. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it starts off this same guy that fell down and worshipped, literally. The closest he could get to Daniel's God was Daniel, so he bows down to Daniel. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he builds an image. (laughs) And you're saying, what is with this clown? It's amazing how fickle we are when we're not gods. It's amazing how quickly we can forget things that seem oh so obvious. And obviously at the time when King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this image, which literally started with him, he was, he was diagnosed as being the head of gold, which I'm sure chapter 3, as we've just read, makes great sense because he said, well, I'm the gold part and I'm an I'm superior to everyone else. That's how all of that probably got going. But the one thing that we, I'm not sure, but as I've, many people, I guess, have taken a stab at, what is the time frame difference between chapter 2 and chapter 3? It's thought that it's probably about 15 years. Aha! How, you, you probably have looked at things differently over the last 15 years, correct? I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar had really was feeling his oats. He was watching his, and again, I want to take you to, this is the one thing I have underlined in, Daniel chapter 2. Look at verse 37. As Daniel is unfolding this dream before the king, verse 37, he says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given you a kingdom. He didn't earn it. He didn't get it. He didn't grab it. God literally gave it to him, as every other king has ever had as well. But Nebuchadnezzar being that man, that egomaniac, and he was an egotistical rascal. He was in a position of power, and he wanted everyone to know it at all times. King Nebuchadnezzar made a statue. He made an idol, I guess is what we could say. We really meet this issue right here in Daniel chapter 3 is certainly without question God's most basic issue with mankind. What are you going to do with God? What are you going to do with God? 
Now, the one thing I want to point out as well is that to the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, that oftentimes in many places, polytheism, and that is the worship of many gods, is very popular. So I, I, want, I want you to see this for an Israelite, for these Jews, these three. Now, where's Daniel, by the way? He was probably on a trip. Again, he was the prime minister. He, was, he probably had business somewhere else that King Nebuchadnezzar wanted him to do. But interesting, again, I think it's, it's really interesting to see. I want you, I'm going to say this several times today. A faith not tested is one that can't be trusted. A faith not tested is one that cannot be trusted. And God has a way, when Satan wants to destroy your faith, God is developing it. And he does it through trials. Yay! Everybody said, right? Oh, I can't wait for another trial to make my faith stronger. <laughs> the other thing I'll say is this. This lesson today is not, has, and again, it's fought, again, different numbers, but we see the group of people that were invited. It was literally all of the royalty. It was all of those, and if you start, we'll go through in a moment. All of those eight or nine places of authority, which tops from the top down, they literally all were invited, and guess what? Every single one of those showed up because the king asked them to be there. That was an appointment you didn't miss. But it's thought that there was probably on the plain of Dura, which would be about six miles southeast of Babylon, they actually found in archaeological excavations, they found this huge brick foundation, which is felt by the archaeologists that really pretty much would have been that platform, that distinctive um, foundation that would have held this statue or this idol. And it was really just basically a really big desert plain. It was flat and there was nothing there. What a great place to assemble people to have a statue, an idol, if you will, in the middle of this to have everybody fall down. It would be glorious for Nebuchadnezzar to watch this. Um, it says the statue was made of gold. I'm sure it was just a wood inside and an overlaid sense of gold on the outside. But think of that with the sun glistening on a gold statue that is described for us as 60 cubits high. That would include the pedestal. And there's a good chance of it because if we think of the ratio, it's 10 to 1. Now, most uh, men, shall we say, are a 5 to 1 or a, or a 4 to 1 in the sense of height to width. Okay? So at 10 to 1, if you think about that, it's 9. Oh, how, how big is a cubit? It's, it's been from the elbow to the... So that's about 18 inches on those people. Okay, 18 inches. So it would be 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. That's one skinny dude. That's all I got to say about it, right? But again, I think, that, I think literally that pedestal was probably up off the air a fair bit. To get that statue up even higher, if you understand, giving it the stability because a, a, 90 by, a 9 by 90 is... You know what I mean? That's pretty tough to keep upright, shall we say. At any rate, now, that's interesting as well. I don't know if this is the place to do it or not, but if you've noticed, there's a lot of sixes going on. The Babylonian mathematical basis, we're, we're on the decimal system, correct? By the, we go by tens in, in, in our mathematics today. They actually had what was a sexagismal system, which was based on sixes. Uh, this, uh, uh, the number 60 is actually divisible. It's the lowest divisible number by the first six numbers. OK, 
Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. All of those will divide evenly into 60. It is the lowest number of those being divided into that. There's a lot of, I mean, if you think about it, this whole system, the Babylonians were sharp, sharp people. But it is interesting this, that in the 60 cubits by 6, we have two sixes. Let's go to, let's fast forward to Revelation for a moment. And I've said, Daniel is that book that you must, first of all, get a capture on for Revelation to make any sense. It's what we hang everything else on from a prophetic standpoint. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13 for a moment. And we see, again, if you think about what we talked about last week, of this image that started with Nebuchadnezzar, the time of the Gentiles, we had, let's, let's just review for a second, we would have King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. Then the next kingdom was the Medes and Persians, the, the, the two arms and the, and the chest. And then we had the Greeks. And then we had the Roman Empire, which literally, as we've talked about, and if you study through history, it never really was ever vanquished or annihilated by any other kingdom. It declined, particularly morally, from the inside out. It's kind of like what's happened to America. We started really strong, and then it's like we're rotting on the inside. The same thing happened to the Roman Empire. It never really was disintegrated, and we'll see from Daniel's prophecy in chapter 2 that it will be revived at the end, before the fifth kingdom. And who's the fifth kingdom? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that actually at the end of the tribulation. So think of, this, think of this vision that King Nebuchadnezzar was given and Daniel reiterated the dream plus the interpretation that literally has coursed so far over 2,600 years and it's still not fulfilled. Oh my goodness, right? But now let's get back to where we're at right now. So we have this Nebuchadnezzar and has this statue. And we find that in Daniel we see the prefaces of a lot of prophetic information. So we have a statue now, or an idol, that is 60 cubits by 6. There's two sixes I see there. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 13, and let's look at, the, at what we're going to call the revived Roman Empire, this last 10 kings, which Daniel spoke of. We'll start in verse 11, because there's one that rises out of this. We'll have more of that when we get to chapter 7 of uh, Daniel, but let's, let's just dive in here and just stay with me because that's not what my focus is essentially, but following the sixes. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all of the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and those which dwell therein to worship the first beast. This is the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed... And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, this is something that's coming. It's on the, we haven't even lived this yet. But this is still within Daniel's chapter 2 vision. This is the grandest vision, the grandest prophetic uh, that we've seen, uh, that you'll find in Scripture, because it plays out through the whole course of the time of the Gentiles and ends in Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. And it's telling us, not only did Nebuchadnezzar, the first kingdom, set up an image, <coughs> there's an image coming for the Antichrist, when he is healed from a deadly wound. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how that's done, but you can tell today there's a lot of ways that things aren't exactly what they seem. 
But it's going to be a, appear to be so powerful that Antichrist will have taken a deadly blow and will appear to be dead. The false prophet, his number two man, literally through satanic generated power, whatever it might be, it will appear at least that he will raise from the dead. And then they're going to make an image. Let's keep going. Verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now this sound is this not deja vu all over again? This is literally Daniel chapter 3 versus Revelation chapter 13. And thou, well, I'm going to say thousands of years apart. Now, keep going. Verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, that's it, to do business, go to a grocery store, go anywhere, go to a doctor, whatever, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. Is that not enlightening to see how God, that this whole, this whole transcourse literally takes Nebuchadnezzar, the king who makes a statue of a 60 by 6 cubits, and it goes all the way to the very revived Roman Empire, the Antichrist being risen from the dead, and I'm going to put quotes around that, I don't know exactly what that's all about, but literally at that point, you worship the beast, the image of the beast, or you die. And then you'll take the mark of the beast, the 666, which is the mark of man. Perfection or completion is seven. Man has never met that, never will, never will. But it does, isn't it interesting how that just, oh, that fits. Well, let's go back to Daniel now. Daniel. let's talk a little bit more about the, I would say, the introduction to all of this. Um, how, what would you say if I said, no, how many of you, that, and this is really important, it's not the three guys. What are their names? We said it about 15 times, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Now, when I was a little kid, you know, you've, you've heard that one because that's the, that's the stories of the Bible that are recorded. Those are the ones that are in books. Those are the ones that the little kids get to have the opportunity to see, the ones where God ultimately won, right? And I remember just as a little guy, I, I don't know, three, four, five years old, I'm listening. I'm, we had a, my mom had a record, right? You know those, I'm timing, I'm dating myself now, aren't I? And listening to that, I would be right up against, we had one of those console, you know, those, those stereos, those ones that were, or uh, phonographs or whatever you call them, right? And I'm sitting there, and, and the, what I heard was Meshach. Okay, what, I already messed it up. What's the first one? Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. And I couldn't figure out, that's the strangest name I've ever heard of a guy. And I said, what does that mean? What? And I, for a long time, that's, I, it was like putting a kid to bed, right? I just thought, well, I'm going to go to bed. It's crazy. But, but what I want to, in all seriousness now, it's not those three guys that I want you to be interested in. I want you to be them. I want you to step into their sandals. Because just as it was 2,500 years ago, those same things are happening today. It happened then. 
it's happening today, and it will happen in the future. I just read from Revelation chapter 13. There will be decisions made in the tribulation period. And if you think it's going to be, if it's hard today to make the right choice, in the tribulation period, it will be nearly impossible. That's who I want. I don't, I'm going to talk about those guys, but I want us, what would we do? Where is God in our lives? Do we struggle? Now, again, I, I, you know, if we go downtown Sheridan or Twin Bridges or Butte or whatever, we don't see a lot of statues, right? So maybe this is something we don't have to be concerned with. There's, I've got the, you should see you guys out there. There's like this smug smile right now. Right? <laughs> you know, I'm not nearly as concerned about the statues that are external and there are those, actually. There are images that reflect, are, are, are reflecting. We're getting into that in a moment. That's just as diabolical is worshiping the images of our God. There are no images of our God. They, he can't be depicted that way. But what I'm concerned about is the idols that are in our mind. What are we serving? And there's three things we'd like to start with. Is Let's first of all look at our response to idolatry. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. We'll find a couple of them there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start in verse 14. Now you'll find, in fact, the descri- there, there are words I want you particular to be part of to see what you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to act with idolatry. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll look at verse 14. Now this is Paul speaking to the carnal Corinthians. And they, by the way... Uh, if, if you were to visit Corinth when Paul wrote to these folks, this was idolatry on steroids. They were everywhere. There was, there was temple for Diana. There was temple for everything from Diana to you name it. You had multiple gods. In fact, if you could go worship gods all day long. And you say, how weird is that? No, no, I'm here to tell you. We actually worship more gods in our country today. We're so involved in polytheism, it blows my mind. And that's what I want to get at the heart of. Let's, so let's go now. How are we supposed to deal with idolatry? Verse 14, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians says this. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Okay, so the first one we're told is to flee. Now, what does flee mean? Get out of there. <laughs> does anybody not get that word? That's, a, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Don't stick around and try to fight it. Get out of there. Okay? Now, the next one we find is in verse 20. Verse 20. We could actually read through that. I'll let you do it on your own. But verse 20 says, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with the devils. In other words, avoid idolatry. So what have we done so far? Flee and avoid. Okay, let's look at a third one. Now, we're going to have to turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Now, John being that apostle that wrote the Gospel of John, but also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was exiled to the, to the island of Patmos. They tried to burn him in oil, and through God's gracious, I don't know what you'd call that, but if you can drop a guy in a cauldron of oil and he doesn't die, the emperor said, we can't kill him, so let's send him somewhere so he's all by himself. He can't talk to anyone. Well, praise be to God. That's how we got the book of Revelation. 
that we just read from that he was given the vision literally of the latter days. John wrote that. But he also wrote something the very end of 1 John chapter 5, the last verse. This is how he ends the entire letter. He says this in verse 21. You find it? 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. This is how he ends it. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. <laughs> Isn't that good? If there was an ending, if there was something ending for us today, I would say the same thing. Dear ones, stay away from idols. Amen. Avoid them. So, so flee, avoid, stay away. Any part of that we don't understand? <laughs> it's serious business. It's serious business. Now, uh, it's not a matter of worshiping. Now, I, I've, uh, I talk to a lot of people, and it's amazing how many people today uh, don't want a creator God. They don't want one. What do you mean you don't want one? Well, if he created you, if he made you, then you're responsible and accountable to him. We'd rather not have that kind of a God. We'd rather have someone we could make of our own. Now, by the way, worshiping is part of who God made us to be. Religion or worship is... We're incurables. Even if you go in to find some, some tribal nation in the midst of nowhere, guess what? They're worshiping something. They're worshiping something. That's the way we're, we're, we're made that way. The other thing is, is it's not an absence of faith that we're concerned with in this passage. It's an object of faith. All of you, everyone in this world that's living ultimately has faith. You get in a car, you have faith that goes. Right now, all of you are exercising faith in the chair that you're sitting in. You wouldn't have sat down if you didn't think it would have held you. That's faith. I could go on. The faith is everywhere. I mean, it's not the lack of presence of faith. Faith is only as strong as the object in which it's placed. That's the difference. That's the difference. So let's talk about some things. Well, before we even do that. So if we all, if everyone's kind of set up to worship, and by the way, an atheist is a worshipful person. Highly religious. Highly religious. He or she that's an atheist, they are some of the most worshipful people that I know. Oh, what are you talking about? In fact, they would be livid if they were here right now. They wouldn't want that to be said, but actually they are. They're worshiping one of the oldest idols of all time, and that's themselves. All of their faith is in themselves. Because they say nothing is beyond what they can know. That means they're worshiping themselves. We tend to become like the God we create. Because who we worship, we become like. And you say, well, how could you be more like yourself if you worship yourself? You become even more narcissistic. Have you seen a nation any, even, any more narcissistic than ours today? No. Only concerned about themselves. But let's talk about a few others. I want you now to be creative. I want you to tell me, I'm going to write down on the board, idols or gods that are literally today being served in our nation. Now, we're looking at the idol of Nebuchadnezzar's image. And let's just for a moment, I want you to get there. It's thought there was probably 300,000 people that attended that inaugural events of worshiping 
falling down, and that word is used. Don't, don't, mis, don't misunderstand it. It may not have been exactly right the way he introduced it. It was like, this is the presentation of this image. There was nothing mentioned about as he invited them to the worship. But when they got there, it was real clear. You will fall down and worship. Okay. What are we worshiping today? And let's describe an idol. What is an idol? That seems like such a foreign word. How many of you, if I was to ask that, in the last seven days, how many of you worshipped idols? <laughs> Nobody's going to bite on that one, right? It's not one worthy of biting on, right? quite honestly. But would we say that no one then has, did, it, did no one worship an idol this week? Well, you, listen to Gail. She's really opened this whole thing up. Did you see that plethora of a door open up? Thank you, Gail. We're, we stepped inside, and it's scary, isn't it? But before we go there, what would have you done if you were invited to the plain of Dura, which was six miles southeast of Babylon, and then you were commanded when they played the music? Now, again, music, music plays a huge role. I mean, it gets people energized, doesn't it? And he said it about four or five, six times, right? And it must have been what a weird band it is. It was stringed. It was horns. It was, I can't even imagine what it sounded like. But when it happened, it was time to fall down and worship, right? What would have you done? What would have you done? Now, it's easy for us to sit here because we're not there. But let me, let me make sure that you understand this. Let's go ahead and assume there was 300,000 people there. Well, okay, how much is that? How, how big is 300,000? What's a city of 300,000? How big is Denver? Anybody know? A million, okay. A third of the size of Denver in a very tight area. And they are, without question, the herald commands them, when you hear the music, you will fall down and worship the image. Now, again, I want, to, I want to take something that this is really important because it's in our polytheistic world as well, our nation today as well. What's the difference if you're already worshiping a number of other gods to worship one more? It's not a big deal. That's Nebuchadnezzar's whole deal. Now, why did he do it? I don't know if we should jump into that right now or not, but one of the things, if you think about it, if he's gathering all these people together and worshiping one place one thing or another thing, the sense of unity and control is amazing. That's really all I think he was about. And, and he liked, he was, an, he was an egomaniac. He loved to the, the attention. I mean, you, you, you can't miss that. But the control was utmost, and the unity was utmost. That's what he really wanted. So now we've got a third of Denver. Third of Denver. I'm actually looking for a city that's 300,000. How big is Kansas City? That's probably about that, isn't it? Are you? Okay. Oh, my goodness, right? That's, that's a correct statement. Yeah, about a million in, in Montana. So a third of Montana. All in one place. Yeah, three times Billings. Okay, now you're, we're, we're close enough, okay? So everybody bows down when they say, and every, there's no questions here. There's not like, okay, and if any of you have a problem with that, let's meet over in this room and we'll kind of get you set up in what we're really trying to do. No, no, it's none of that. You just, you bow down and worship. Or else. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Or else. See, and Nebuchadnezzar thought of the ultimate. It wasn't like, you bow down. and You know what? We've got to come up with some reason to make them bow down. Something that will make them fearful enough to do what I tell them to do. 
He was kind of into burning things. That's what Nebuchadnezzar loved. He loved hot stuff, right? Not just hot food. He liked hot places. So out here in the middle, and it had to be right here. It had to be in this plain of Dura, in this desert. He creates this furnace, and it's hotter than you can imagine, right? And if you don't fall down, you will be thrown into the furnace right away. Ooh. Well, now, now we can come up with all kinds of excuses. The other thing that's interesting, it wasn't the ones that, in other words, stand up if you're all in favor of worshiping the image. No, 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 no. Because if you weren't, if you were kneeling down, you wouldn't stick out. You flip it around, you're going to worship and fall down, and there's three guys. You talk about stand out. (laughs) What would you do? See, those are pertinent questions because it's coming. And it will, it's even, like I say, it's in the past, it's right now to present today, and it's also in our future or in someone's future. I'm not going to, I'm not planning to be here in the tribulation. I'm I'm out of here. But somebody, and you know what? Daniel will say, the word of God will never, never cease to exist. This word of God may be hard to find in the tribulation, but you'll be able to find it, and that will be one of the greatest encouragements for people to be able to go back and see what Daniel, chapter 3, what they did, because it fits Revelation chapter 13 with the open. That's where we're at. See, the word of God always is encouraging no matter what, because it never ceases. We'll always think, Isn't that fantastic? I had a guy tell me today, how do you know the Bible's true? I said, well, why don't you try to duplicate it? Well, what do you mean? He was pretty haughty. I said, well, let's start with, I said, I don't think we could take 10 people. We could take you and me and find eight more. And maybe we'll give ourselves 10 years to write a book. But we each write a book separately from one another. And when we all come back together, it all makes sense. It fits together. I said, what do you think of that? Big deal. I said, well, let's do it the way the Bible was. 40 different people, 66 different books over the course of 1,500 years. And it synchronizes. My friend, I said, that's why I believe the Bible. And he got quiet. <laughs> and I said, if you don't believe the Bible, let's let work it trying. Don't, don't take someone else's exp- uh, um, answer for that. You yourself need to dig into that. Make sure that you don't believe it. Not because someone else told you not to believe it. Our conversation ended this way. And this is this guy. This is Steve. I want you to continue to pray for Steve. He's the one. He's been going on for years. He actually left this conversation. He said, you know, I think I'm losing it. You won this argument today. I said, no, no. I said, God's winning your heart right now. He said, you've actually convinced me that there is a supreme being. I said, no. I said, God did that. He read the book that I gave to him. On What's, what's Kindle? Is that the... Kindle's one. No, it's, it's an on, right? He yeah. loved... This guy loves Kindle. So, so I bought him um, a case for a creator by... Uh, Lee Strobel. He read it. I didn't think he would, but I said he wouldn't. I said, I bet I can't trust you to read it. <laughs> he read it. And he said, you know what? That was, that was a really good book. Is that where the believer went in search of? Yeah. And he was an atheist himself. Right. Right? That's the thing that makes it stronger, right? Okay. Yeah, I need to know that yeah. There's several of those. Case, case of the creator is really where it starts from. You've got to have a creator before you have a savior. Because he's personally, and Steve hasn't got to that point where he believes that there is a God that's personally, and he cares about you, and he loves you. He can't get there. But he said, there's no way, there's, there's too much design. He's actually repeating the things that I started to talk to him about. And I said, that's a God thing. But here's, what, here's, here's the scary part of this. This is why we create a God in our own minds. 
that we like because we don't want one that it's too hard to get along with. <laughs> right? They're easier that way. But he was sitting in his truck, and I tapped a dash, and I said this. I said, what if you were fully convinced that the Bible is true, and truth can be known, and truth was made very clear to you? The bigger question is, would you accept that truth? And he says, I can't say that. I said, that's exactly what I expected, because you've already taken a position against truth because you don't want to believe it. And that's where we are as a nation today. We have resisted truth for so long. We can't tell the difference, but even if we could, in fact, let's go to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1, let's dive into uh, verses 18 through 23. Romans chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 18. Very familiar. It should be a very familiar passage to you. You should be reading this one every so often because this is where we find particularly America, but even the world, engaged. In Romans chapter 1, we'll start now in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, it's like suppressing truth. It's like holding truth back. Is that now what's happening in our world today? We're we're, we're not only resisting it, we're holding it back. I'm moving around too much, right? Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. That, That verse 19 to me, it has atheists written all over it. And I've said this a number of times, but somewhere there's an atheist listening right now. Or will be. Let's put it that way. And I have a question for that atheist. If, and that, what you're saying, then, if you take the position, there absolutely is no God. There is no God. If that's true, then why do you waste a single second trying to convince anyone else? Because it's manifest in you that there is a God. And you're fighting yourself to say there isn't. Let's keep going. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, watch now, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. That is exactly what happens in the sense of idolatry. We resist giving glory to God and ultimately we're, we're, we're a religious, worshipful kind of people because God made us that way and we'll just look for anything else to worship. And usually the first thing is in the mirror ourselves. Let's, look, let's couple that with Psalm chapter 115. Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Not unto us. Look at this. This is, this is a psalm you, need to, you really need to be, be, have a handle on. Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? 
Watch verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. Watch verse 8. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. <laughs> is that not cool? And that was written how long ago? Wow. Amazing. What will we do with God? Now, I've asked and I've never gotten, I've never really asked, but let's talk about it for a moment. I can already see we're not going to get through this passage today. That's a shocker, isn't it? It's a shocker. So let's talk about, let's, let's start naming names. What are something that we worship? Now, again, we'll probably look kind of at a, at a general sense of a category. Money. Okay. Money. It's even got an image on it. <laughs> look at that. Look at that. That one's not very big, though. I'm not nearly as interested in that one as hundreds, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that we're, we're going to, you know what we're going to do? We're going to call that plenty. Plenty. We worship plenty. Now, there's another word we could say for that is greed. Show me a greedy person. They can't even help themselves. More. More of everything. More, 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 more. More. I want more of more. More of more, more. And more of that more. Right? Plenty. Plenty of money. Plenty of things. Oh, no. That's another one, isn't it? We could say possessions, couldn't we? Possessions. Ooh. We're starting to get close to home now, aren't we? Possessions. Plenty. Plenty. And possessions. When we think of the, I want to go back to one for a second. I jumped ahead a little bit, but when you think of plenty or wanting more, um, what is the scripture? What would we? What's a word we could use that would capture that? Covetousness, right? To be covetous. That's to that's to want more. I want, I want more of that more. Have you ever ever watched? I can't even hardly do it, but I haven't watched it for a very long time. But I was running across channels some years back and. There's a, there's a program about hoarders. Yeah. Boy, do you not feel sorry for those people? Yeah. I mean, they can't even live in the house they live because they got so much stuff that they can't live without. They can't live with it. That's a pretty good picture of what plenty is. And yet there's people all over the world today that literally do not have enough food. Let's say they woke up this morning. They weren't sure of this morning, let alone this evening. And we and I'm, this 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 is so addictive. When you worship plenty, there's no stopping. But it's easy, or if you have the idol of plenty, to move right into possessions. You see the polytheism, because if we compromise on the one, and that's isn't that so good? Aren't you glad you don't have ten gods that you're supposed to follow? There's just one. There is just one supreme, all-knowing, powerful. Yahweh God, period. I'm glad. Because if I had it, you see, and that's the thing. When you start to divide that, that's all it becomes is just another God to worship. We worship plenty. It's easier to follow possessions. Possessions of all kinds. Now, and you say, well, we have to have stuff. That is true, by the way. That is true. But one of the ways, the question that we can ask ourselves, if the possessions own us or if we own them, do you spend more time thinking about 
getting more possessions or taking care of the possessions you have than it is about the time you spend with God, then I would say that possessions, it's amazing where we spend our time. That's what an idol is. It's the substitute for God. That's literally the, the, the exact definition. An idol is any substitute for God. We just named two, and you say, that's enough. <laughs> well, let's put in another one. We talked about it already kind of in a different way, but if you've noticed, we're going to be on the level of P's. That's just how I am as a teacher. I love to just, so that it just lines up in your mind and it just goes right down the line. Well, if you are a lover of self, Who is the ultimate inaugural being of loving of self? And what was the sin that he could not stop? Pride. We worship pride. And that's ultimately in the sense of ourselves. Making ourselves God. Americans are really good at that. Now, there's another part of that as well. There, there may be some issues where you're actually worshiping a person, people. And that happens a lot. It's, uh, especially, it's, 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 ama- it's amazing. Excuse me? Yeah, or, or think, think of the professional sports with young kids. You know, I remember when I was uh, 10, 12, 13 years old, I, on my, I don't know how my mother put up with this, but I, we lived, I was upstairs in this two-story house, and I had paper clippings, cutouts from baseball and foot. I was like this walking encyclopedia of news items that were totally worthless to the rest of the world, but I knew how many home runs that guy had hit, and I knew all of it. My whole, it was just something that I was enamored with, okay? And I had Johnny Bench. He was the best catcher of all time. So what did I play as a position when I was in Little League? Well, catcher, of course, right? Now, again, I want to be careful. that There's nothing wrong with looking up to as a sense of a skill set so that we have something to strive for. But if we're worshiping that person, worshiping the ground he walks, he or she walks on, then we've missed it. Then we're literally worshiping people. You can actually worship a child. As hard as that is to say, and a child becomes more important than God, missed it. I want to tell you a story, and it's hard even to tell, but because it's, there's, there seems like it's almost, it's a violation, but Charles Spurgeon, if I say that name, you know who I'm talking about, okay? Charles Spurgeon was a, was a I don't know, he was like in his early 20s and was, was leading a church that was, I mean, had thousands of people. He was a gifted, gifted teacher, preacher. Amazing. Well, on this one particular night, he had gotten his fiancée, and I don't know her name. That's how it was described in the story I read. And he picked her up, and they were going to, they went to a place that he was going to be preaching. (laughs) And if you went to hear Dr. Spurgeon preach, it was a crowded place. It was a crowded place. And literally, he lost his fiance in this crowd of people. But he was asked to, again, he was speaking. And when he got done, he looked all over. He couldn't find her. So what did he do? He went to her house to see if she'd made it home. And there she was pouting. She wasn't very happy. She said, Charles, you left me in the middle of a large group of people. And Charles' response was this. He says, honey, that may have been providential because when God has me ready to speak to people that need Jesus Christ, he is number one. You will never be more than number two. So if that isn't going to work for you, we need to know that now. And she went on to become his wife and a fantastic supportive person. But that's almost, do you see what that, that almost doesn't fit right, but it's absolutely true because God 
will never take second place. He won't allow it. He won't allow it. In fact, let's, let's look at the first two commandments given to us in Exodus chapter 20. He leaves nothing out. It wasn't like a surprise. Oh, you guys didn't get that right. Exodus chapter 20. Let's look at commandment number one and number two. Chapter, actually, let's, let's just start it out. These are the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. In verse 1 of chapter 20 of Exodus, says, God spake all of these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in heaven beneath, earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. That kind of cuts it out, doesn't it? Pretty clear. That's why it's the most basic issue that God has with mankind. Know who you're worshiping and make sure it's me. <laughs> well, let's keep going. There's another one. And you say, that's enough, Larry. We don't want any more gods up there. Well, I'm sorry, but they're out there. Would you not agree that Probably the God of pleasure would be very prevalent. I think of, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's probably not a big deal, but it, it's kind of like this, though, in a, in a vicious circle. Um, let's see, how long ago was it? When did, we went to Disneyland, right? Um, Lisa, when was that? There's a long, Magic Mountain had just gotten started. It was a brand new event or exhibit. And I remember go, just going through that. We weren't there for, I mean, we don't do that stuff very often. Oh, I know. It was, it was actually, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? it was, <laughs> that was the year we got married. Whoa, that was a few years back. 37, 37, to be honest. If I, hopefully I got that right. <laughs> you don't want to miss that one. But anyway, we went down because Lisa's sister and brother-in-law lived in Los Angeles, California, outside of Westminster, which would be a suburb. And so in that travel, we went to Disneyland. And I still remember waiting. I, I learned all about lines. Every line I'd ever been in, it's from here to there. And you can count people. Oh, no, not down there. <laughs> you do the zigzag deal, right? And they just put more chains in, and you have no idea how far you are behind, right? So Magic Mountain was this new, and it was the last one. We, we checked out a couple times through the day, and I don't think we left till probably... 11 o'clock or midnight that night. Because you get all what you're there for, right? And it was, it was a blast. I'll be honest, it was. But, but this, this is what I'm trying to get at now. It's taking me a long time to get there. So we wait in line for an hour and a half. And we're on Magic Mountain. And that stupid thing, I bet it didn't last 30 seconds. <laughs> but go ahead and make it a minute. I don't care. Make it a minute. And it was it fun? Yeah, it was, flat. It was fantastic. But it was over. And you see, there's people that literally go through life for thrills and chills, and they just do it over and over, wait for the weekend. In fact, oh, thank God, it's a Friday. What difference does that make? Every day is the Lord's day, right? And that's a life that's probably seeking pleasure and pleasure only. That's a God. That's a God. Okay, let's keep going. There's a couple left. And you say, oh, my goodness. How many of you got a pet project? And you're dumping hours into it. In fact, maybe even your spouse says, if you spend any more time on that project, I'm going to be irritated here, right? <laughs> and it can become an idol, a project. And, I, and by the way, there are very good projects. There are very good organizations to belong to. But again, what counters it? 
Is it taking the place of God? If it is, set that project aside. And then the other one, okay, I'm going to, what's, what's missing? Man, you've covered a lot of stuff there. Power? Power. Bingo! Absolutely. Good job. I like it. You guys came up with that. Possession. Was that underneath your seat in the front row? I, 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 I let these guys cheat up. Yeah. Prominence. We could call it, we could go with all kinds of stuff. He, he told you. Yeah. Power, prominence. What was the other one you said? Position. Position. We're going to go with power. Um, right now, um, I would have to say that it's number seven here. We're going to just leave it at that. We're going to go with that's enough, right? Seven is a complete number. That's, that's enough. I would say power is probably the thing that is the most insidious in the sense of victimizing a lot of our people at high levels in, in America. Yeah. From Congress to all of our... I mean, at, at every high level, the sense of manipulation and corruption and all of that, it's driven by the lust for power. It really is. I mean, it's just amazing. Because, oh, totally, 100%. Let's let's stop for a moment. I got to think, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Let's just think of this like it just just hit me right now. Must have hit her too. But anyway, um, so we got 300,000 people, right? 300,000 people. And there's only only three that won't bow down. I'm like, that's a win. I mean, go with it. You got got 299,997 that fell down and worshiped the image. And you got three... Just run with that. <laughs> Not Nebuchadnezzar because he's on a power trip. Because these, and you know, I said it a couple weeks ago, and it's really true. Where you see anger, I mean high-level anger, there is fear behind it. Absolutely fear behind anger. Fear drives anger. And you say, "What? wait a minute, he's in charge. No, you know what he was afraid of? If you got three standing up, I could lose control. I could lose control. Amazing, isn't it? Just look at those. And you talk. And if this, we could go on. I'm, I'm telling you, we could go on. But this is really the polytheistic gods of America today. And you know what? If you fall into one, do you know how easy it is to get another one? That's why when you stay with God, Yahweh, that is the Almighty God, Jehovah. Him and him alone. No compromise. This is really what Daniel is all about. Chapter 1, you'll remember it. Verse 8 of chapter 1. Let's read it. These are 14, 15-year-old kids. I've got to find Daniel again. I lost it. Ezekiel, Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8. This is, to me, is the, is the key to the book. But Daniel, he's 14 or 15 years old. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. No compromise in my life, Daniel said. Not going to happen. I'm going to trust and obey God and God alone. Man, do we need some of that stuff today, right? Whew. Amazing. Just look at how divisive, how divisive this is. You see, um, Satan is trying to destroy your faith. How does he do it? He's so subtle. He's so subtle. Isn't he? He's so subtle. But God is trying to strengthen or to build your faith. Now, not only worshiping the wrong God, but worshiping the wrong way or an image. I want to show you this. I'm going to, I'm going to break into this one for a moment. Let's go to Numbers chapter 21. We're going to set this up. How simple and easy this is. Numbers chapter 21.
think about verse 6. Let's see here. Numbers 21. Got to get this right. Come on. Yeah, here we go. This will work. We're going to just, we're going to pop in at Numbers chapter, verse 20, chapter 21 and verse 4. Okay. They journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but this verse just hit me right now. How's life going right now? Is, is the struggle of it discouraging you? There's a lot of people in America discouraged today. For good reason. And if we're, but if we just look at it on the horizontal level, it's easy to do. And you know what happens then? It's so easy to pop over here and grab one of these gods right here. Just bail us out of this thing, right? But let's keep going. Verse 5. The people spoke against God. Ooh. That's what discouraged... Have you ever said something really dumb when you were discouraged? (laughs) We're all laughing together, aren't we? Absolutely. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. In other words, they don't even like the manna that God provides. Did you hear the wine in my voice? Yeah, that wine. Ooh, it's really whiny, isn't it? Yeah. Discouragement and whiny go together. Verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. That's a change of pace a little bit there, isn't it? They had some stuff to whine about now. I mean, you thought you had something to whine about. We've got something now. Verse 7, therefore, the people came to... Mo- now, weren't they just talking about bad stuff about Moses? Now, here they come to Moses. Uh, Moses, old buddy, old pal. We have, no, that's not in there, is it? He said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, was the power in the pole? In the bra- Of course not. It was because God was in that. That's where the strength was, right? I mean, it's really rather obvious, is it not? I want to see how sinister this was. For 700 years, got that in your mind? America's been a nation for 250? Take that times nearly three? Watch what happens. Let's go to, I got to figure this, see if I got this somewhere. Uh, I wrote it down somewhere. If not, I'm going to find it. It's King Hezekiah. Where was he at? Okay, I'm going to have to, let's go to, uh, let's go to 2 Kings. Maybe take me a little bit to find it. 2 Kings, 2 Kings, 2 Kings. I know I wrote it down somewhere. Um, chapter 18, there it is. 2 Kings chapter 18. Let's start now in verse 1. Now this is 700 years after that. Now, by the way, how long would you need that brass serpent deal going on there for you? Uh, how long would we need that pole with the brass serpent on it? What was it for? For just that 
time for right? Do you think it was more than a couple of days, a week, a month? I'm going to say it's less than three days. I don't, I'm just saying that. I, I'm not, not, maybe I'm wrong, but 700 years? <laughs> Watch it. Verse 1, chapter 18 of 2 Kings. It came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. This is his first year, Hezekiah. He's 25 years old, verse 2, was when he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Now watch verse 4. He removed from the high places... And broke the images. There you see that image thing going on. The idols. And cut down the groves. And broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. They must have made a couple of them in 700 years. <laughs> Did you see it? What do you think God thought of that? He was tickled to death that Hezekiah put an end to it. Think of that. See, th that, that's what I'm getting at. The images now that they were worshiping in place of God. You, there's, no, there's no image. In fact, Romans chapter 1 is very clear. Nothing in the heavens above, nothing on the earth, or the waters below shall no image be made of any kind representing God. Because there is no representation of Him. Wow. It's heavy stuff. What time is it? Whew. Let's see. I'm trying to fit a lot of stuff in a very short time right now. Let me just see what we can do about that. Um, let's go back to Daniel. Let's go there. Daniel. I think, let's just, let's, yeah, I think we're just, we're going to have to try to just get through this. So Daniel, chapter 3. Oh, were you guys standing or kneeling? No, I couldn't remember. You guys didn't tell me. What were you doing? What were you, Paul, what were you doing? Were you, were you standing or kneeling in that deal? I, <laughs> that is putting someone on the spot, isn't it? <laughs> what would we do? I'll tell you, the, I tell you what would be the most obvious thing to do. Oh, you know what? This is just one time, or literally. I mean, this, this is just to make him feel good about himself, right? I mean, he's, he's got an ego thing. And, hey, when I was like 14 or 15, I stood my ground. I'm talking about Meshach. I'm talking about those guys, right? And and I, hey, I can worship God when I'm late. I, I'm not, I'm not, you see what I'm doing? That would have been very easy to fall into that trap. That's called compromise. That is called compromise. And you know what? Pretty soon, you know, it goes a week later. Do you know what can happen? One of these can slip into your, into your life. The peas, the plenty, the possessions, the pride, the people, the pleasure, the projects, and the power. They chose, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that for anyone because we believe there's one God and one God only and no one else. See, that does set it apart. When you say there's only one God to serve, the polytheism is not nearly as much as a trap as to someone that's already worshiping one of those. You can grab another one pretty simple, right off the hook, because you're already there. Your mind's already wrapped around it. Okay, got three guys standing up. Now, who's the first one to blow the horn? I'm not talking about the musician. By the way, I wonder what that... You know, just just for me now, how do you bow down when you got the music playing? Let's say you're a cornet player, right? See, they didn't fall down. See, my mind thinks of stuff like that. Maybe they did them before they got to be the band. I don't know. But the music plays, three guys are standing. Who's the first one to squeal on them? Now, if you were next door, let's say, Bill, you were right beside this clown, and, he's, and you're kneeling. 
Oh, I didn't want to put you there. <laughs> Let's say I'm there, okay? I'm a, yeah, yeah, so you're standing, but okay, well, anyway, here, the, the, somebody's kneeling beside these three guys, and they're standing, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what's wrong with these clowns? You know, I mean, they're going to they're gonna get in trouble because you know what a firing furnace do? You know, get down, people, right? Right? Get down. So I'm trying to help you. But no, no, someone stepped up and said, they had an audience of King Nebuchadnezzar. The Chaldeans, nonetheless. Now, let's take a step back about 15 years if our timetable's right. Remember what happened in chapter 2 of Daniel? <gasps> Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he called in the Chaldeans. And they couldn't tell him the dream. In fact, they said it was so unkind for Nebuchadnezzar to ask them to tell him the dream that he had, and they didn't. They'd give him the interpretation if he would tell him the dream. And then you know what happened at the very end? We read it already today. At the end of it, Daniel and his friends told the dream and the interpretation. And then Nebuchadnezzar promoted them over the Chaldeans. See, you don't take that gland down. Here's 15 years later, the Chaldeans said, Oh, have we got some news for you, Nebuchadnezzar. You live forever, by the way, buddy. But those Jews, certain Jews... now. That's another thing I forgot to say. When the hostages were taken back in chapter 1 from Jerusalem, from Judah, I should say, there was about 70 to 75 of those. Guess what they're doing today? Just like everybody else. Isn't it so easy? Peer pressure. I know I've told you it's popped in my mind again. I, I, do you mind? I mean, this, this is the strength of peer pressure. And, you know, they say that teenage years are the, are the most difficult for peer pressure. No, heavens no. Peer pressure is with you till you die. I don't care if you're in the nursing home. There's peer pressure, right? So here's the deal. They had, they had between 20 and 30 in different groups, people that were arriving into a room. There was somebody at the front of the room, and they wrote that they had a line. They had number one. And for those that can't see this, I'm going to say that line's probably about a foot long, okay? Number two, the line is half of that, or about six inches, okay? The question was raised to the people, Tell me the longest line. Is it number one? Please raise your hand. Okay, now what I didn't tell you was is that they had told everyone except for one person out of the 30 that are attendants, they said, for you, you raise your hand when we get to number two. <laughs> All right. Now, this isn't hard, is it? Is there, is it is, is this, this isn't hard. You've got one line at number one is a foot long. We have number two, which is a line of six inches long. And the, and the guy at the front says, raise your hand if number one is the longest line, the foot long line. And the one guy, I must not have got the, I must not have got the question right. And so then he says, well, raise your hand if it's number two. And everybody goes, whoink, up in the air. And so he, and then, so then the, the guy says, he says, just so you understand, let's make sure you understand. We want the longest line. <laughs> so let's make sure you all know what the question is. Number one, raise your hand. He didn't, even, he, didn't even, he didn't even move because he knew where the group was at. Is that not amazing? That's peer pressure. And that's exactly what was happening here on that day when you got King Nebuchadnezzar demanding that they fall down and worship. You could have a, a hundred excuses. We could take the rest of today thinking of ways to get ourselves compromised around that one event for that one day. Now, I also think it was pretty sinister. On, it wasn't like you could come and go and pay obedience to this idol at your personal time. Oh, no, 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 no. It was the set time 
at just exactly the moment that everybody fell down in worship. Back to the Chaldeans. Fifteen years later, still got a grudge. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, these Jews, certain Jews, these three as a matter of fact, the ones that have always been a problem to us, they wouldn't fall down and worship you or the image. And Nebuchadnezzar, just, he's, he's on fire. He's furious. He's totally furious. And he knows these three guys. Don't you kid yourself. He knows them. He, he knows who they are. So he calls them over. Guys, is it true that you wouldn't fall down and worship when all the music took place? I'm going to give you one more chance. <laughs> it's, kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, let's, let's get this right. This isn't hard. You just fall down and worship and it's over. It's no big deal. You know, you can get through this. And then they say something like this. Oh, and by the way, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in to the fiery furnace and you're going to die. And whose God can get you out of that? Ha, 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 ha. Okay. How are you doing right now? Are you sweating a little bit? Let's say you're one of the three. Let's say it's five of them. Let's say there's five guys there. Chapter 3 of Daniel. They answer, verse 16. I love this. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this. In other words, we're not making excuses. We're not even going to answer you. There's nothing to talk about. Nothing to talk about. But we do want you to know this. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. That's not the question. Uh, But if not... Be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, plural, or worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Period. That's, I mean, they're not incensed. They're not angry. They're not. They're just, this is matter of factly. Regardless of consequences, we are trusting God no matter what. Our object of worship. Now, keep that in mind. Are they, is there any more faith on their part? And I'm just talking faith. No. But the object of their faith is monstrous. You show me an evolutionist, an atheist evolutionist, I will show you someone that has an enormous amount of faith but it's in the wrong object. There was an enormous amount of people in the 300,000 potentially. They had a lot of faith, but it wasn't in God. It was in the system. It was in being doing the right thing at the right time. These in power right now, you know what's happening across our nation today? It's through bribery and extortion. They're maintaining power because they're doing the right thing to maintain the thing that they want control of. That's never changed. That's the same 2,500 years ago. Oh, my goodness. You mean these guys just pop this off right in front of the King Nebuchadnezzar? He loses it then. He's totally, he's just, he's, he's crazy. Now, what would you do if you wanted to make their death actually last longer? You'd make it a slow roast, right? He turns it up seven times. Why seven times, I wonder? Whew. I wonder how hot that baby was. And then he gets his best of the best. These are, these are commandos. And he tells them to... You know, bind them up. Well, I'm, I'm curious about that, too. If you throw them in the fire, why would they need to be bound up? Right, that's, just, that's just funny to me. I just don't know. So they get there, and, they, and, and the guy's throwing them in the fire. They're burned up before they can even get it done. They fall in, and it seems like they dropped them in from the top anyway. You know, we don't know exactly how this looked, but it, you, you can see that they fell in. And then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute. Whoa, stop. Did we not just throw three in there? Who's the fourth one? That was you, wasn't it, Bill? You were standing too, weren't you? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. The fourth one. We don't know. Now, he said it looks like the Son of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar does not know what Jesus Christ looks like. It was probably an angel that was sent to protect them. 
But it was certainly something that would have been supernatural and out of the ordinary, and it got Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And they come out of there, and that man was all of a sudden humble again. Isn't it amazing? Isn't that amazing what power does? True, awesome power? It says every knee will bow before Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 2. You can either bow now or you can bow later. (laughs) I'm choosing to bow now. But what kind of character, what kind of courage, what kind of tenacity, what kind of uncompromising character was instilled with them? That is literally the two forces at hand, which is the same today, is external pressure. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's whole game was, external pressure versus internal character, internal principle. Let's call it that, external uh, pressure versus internal principle. Why just three of them? I don't know the answer to that. Why is it so few today? Good question. Good question. I want to tell you a little bit of story. The guy's name was Stephen Garrard. Has anyone ever heard of him? Stephen Garrard. No one? Okay. Uh, at the Revolutionary War, he was actually a, he was from France, but naturalized as a United States citizen in the very beginning of the nation, of this nation. He was a financier. He was a banker. He was at one time the richest man in America. He invested heavily in the banking system. He literally almost carried the United States through the 1812 war. He was actually in some ways very caring. There was, a, there was a, an epidemic that went through New York, New York City that he literally raised funds and he himself was helping to administer support. But Stephen Garrard was not a Christian. And he ran a tight ship. And on, I don't know what year this was, but in his workforce, in his bank... Something had come up, and there was a shipment that had come in, and he requested all of his employees to be there on Sunday to unload, to help process that information, to process that. And there was a young man that had worked for him, and he came to him, and he said, Mr. Gerard, I can't, I won't be able to be here tomorrow. And he says, well, it sounds like we may have to separate then. He said, well, I understand that. I knew you would say that, but I, I have a widowed mother that I need to care for, and I will not be here tomorrow. Well, he says, just check in with the chief cashier, and you'll get settled up, and then uh, I'm, I'm just I'm going to let you go. I can't. If you, if you cannot obey me, I, I can't handle it. He stood his ground. For three weeks, this young man was beating the pavement looking for a job. Mr. Garrard took a phone call from another bank that was just starting, and the new president asked of him if he had anyone that he could tell him about that would be someone that he could trust as a cashier. And he says, as a matter of fact, he names this young man's name. And he said, wait a minute. Isn't this the guy you just told me a few weeks ago that you... you?" He said, well, let me tell you something. I fired him because he wouldn't work on a Sunday. But anybody that's willing to lose his job over a principle is one I can trust money with. That is very true. Isn't that true? And that's the effectiveness of a strong character, a strong, uncompromised, integrity-driven life. No matter what the circumstances or the consequences may be initially, you will be blessed because that's where God is. That's where God is. That's where he lives. 
A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Very good. I was hoping we'd have to start all over again. I was getting worried. (laughs) And the issue here was not the absence of faith. It was the object of faith. That is so correct. Now, there's people today that actually have faith in faith. They just believe they have to have faith. And what they're really clinging to is that faith, whatever it is, is that's generated within them. And if their faith is strong enough, then they can get through anything. It's just, but that's faith in faith. That's not any stronger than what you are. See the difference? It's not faith. It's the object of your faith. That's why those three men. Now, again, just a minute now. What if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been broiled and gone? And does that make God any less? No. They were safe in his arms no matter what happens on the physical side. That's the part the world cannot grasp. All of these things literally end at the end of your life, physically. It's gone. In fact, let's go to Romans 8, 17. I hope that's right. It popped in my mind. Romans 8, 17. Find out in a second. Yeah, that's pretty good. God's word is, though. We'll start in verse 14. Uh, Let's start in verse 12. Let's just go there. Exalted living. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Those are fleshly, aren't they? All of those peas. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear... How many, how many, this is, now this is really, this is again important. How many people bowed down to that image because they really wanted to bow down to that image? (laughs) I'm going to say with almost a big fat zero. Now, what did they bow down out of then? Fear. That is what's driving our world today is fear. Fear. And by the way, you see anger and you see all of this, this ruckus and this robust sense of upheaval. There's fear behind it. Fear is a huge, huge thing that's going on in our world today. And you came to deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's ultimately. See, these that are engaged in these, in these gods, there's plenty of positions. Possessions, pride, people, pleasure, project, power. You know what they're all afraid of at the very end? Death. None of those will get them out of that. Look at John D. Rockefeller. He's in his upper 80s, and they said, how much, John? How much, how much money is enough? Classically, he answered, just a little bit more. He couldn't have spent what he had then, but you know what? He died a rich, and what, his soul is in God's hands, not mine. But from all evidences... He chose to trust these gods and not the God. I'm just saying, I'm I'm, I'm in his last, but the point of the matter is his whole life was spent serving these gods. That's exactly right. How much land? Well, just the stuff that borders me, right? That's greed. That is a perfect description of greed. Absolutely. Now, now at, at the same time, let me. Th- if there's a sense of encouragement that I want to be today, 
Um, if you, you know, and one of the things that you've seen is if you read Daniel and these three men here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys got it right, right out of the box. You know, every, everything that's written about, there's just nothing bad written about them. It's like they're saints on steroids, right? Okay. And, and that's cool because that's, that is truly an example and a picture for us to follow. But the other thing I want to encourage you with is this. If you have fallen down, if you have faltered, if you have compromised, if you have been on these gods, shall we say, you come clean with God and he is right there picking you up and say, let's go together. In fact, to start with, most of the time, he will carry you. Because I've been in those moments where literally the Holy Spirit is groaning and travailing and speaking on my behalf because I don't even know how to pray. That's the kind of God we have is available to us when we trust and completely resign ourselves and yield him to yield ourselves to him he's that kind of a god he doesn't hang this over your head oh yeah you know i cannot believe you did that i'm going to keep holding he's not like that in fact you have a defense attorney and advocates told us in first john chapter 2 verse 2 that he is at the right hand of god advocating for you he's your defense attorney he is speaking for you because satan he's the accuser of the brethren revelation chapter 12 verse 10 he's accusing the brethren day after day after day and it seems like we've been going day after day after day over here. I've got to stop. That's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. We've covered a lot of ground. And the bottom line is, a couple of things again, just, just to make sure. A faith that isn't tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And God is not trying to destroy your faith. He's developing it through trials in situations that makes that faith stronger. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Do you think there was anything that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not have faith in God over after this event? Think of Abram for just one, one, one quick story. And you say, yeah, right. Okay, I'm going to try to do it really quick. <laughs> You're laughing the most, aren't you? Um, Abram, he's 100 years old. He waited for that one and only son. Got him. I got him. He's probably a teenager, and then God says, you know what, God, uh, you want, Abram, I want you to sacrifice that son to me because I want you to make sure that I'm number one in your life. Do you think Abram could have done that 25 years earlier? I don't think so. That's the really cool thing about God is he takes you one step at a time building that faith. But when Abram said this, he says, I'm going to trust God because he told me before, and I know I can believe God, that my, 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 uh, ans- my descendants will be as the sands of the sea or the stars of the sky. And God can't lie. And right now I'm going to do what God asked me to do because that's what he's asked me to do. And he goes to the mountain, takes a three-day trip. His son goes with him. He's got him on the altar and he's re- because he believed in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Read it yourself. He believed that God would raise him from the dead if he had to because he'd have to finish his promise. Now, that's faith. Not because Abraham's faith is so outstanding. It's because the object of his faith was in God, who is ultimately, completely, 100% unfailable. And men and women, as we're in a world that's really messed up today, make sure your faith is in God and nothing else. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the word. Thank you for Daniel and his friends. Thank you for using a situation 25, 2,600 years ago. And even last, last week, Father, as we looked at chapter 2, the extent of that dream, and it's even still going, and you're still in charge. Everything's going according to plan. You finally and completely, one day, Jesus Christ will rule and reign for eternity. I can't wait. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait, Father, to see my Savior and look in his eyes as he's wearing scars 
on the cross that he died upon for me. He gave everything. He left nothing back. Father God, that's the God we serve. May we be focused. May we be in tune. May we be uncompromising. May we be courageous, just as these three men were, just as Daniel was. They purposed in their heart not to defile themselves. Father, hold us. Thank you for giving us the weapon, the weaponry we need, the defense items to protect ourselves against Satan's onslaughts, but also the only offensive weapon that's listed is the Word of God. Is a sword is more powerful. Is quick. Father, thank you for that. We'll give you this day and beyond. Father, there are those that are gathered here today in this place that will be very many miles away from here going about your business. And we would ask that you would encourage them and strengthen them, allow them to see the footsteps that they are taking for you as others would learn and know about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Therein lies the strength for today's challenges. And now we trust you, Father, with the rest of this service today. In Christ's name, amen.